parents, and welcome to this week's episode of Parents in the Classroom. I'm your host, Ashley Morrow, and today we will be joined by Marion Morrow to discuss this week's topic, podcasts. This topic came from our audience-led questionnaire last week after discussing the broad topic of technology's place in the classroom. This particular parent had a concern about her daughter's teacher, who had chosen podcasts for the format of students' research papers instead of the traditional written format. This parent's main concern was that switching to a verbal, technology-based format was just a fun activity that held no real value for her child. Would podcasts still improve her child's fundamental writing abilities? So which is it? Is it just a fun trend, or are teachers using podcasts because it really is a better way to teach important writing skills? Today, we have Marion Morrow here with us from Brigham Young University to give us more context on why teachers are choosing podcasts. Marion, welcome, and please explain to our audience how you connect to this conversation. Thank you, Ashley. I'm excited to be here. Um, As far as how I connect to this conversation, I am a pre-service teacher right now, which means I'm a teacher learning how to become a teacher. I do my student teaching next semester, and right now I'm in a bunch of uh, teaching or pedagogy classes such as teaching reading, teaching grammar, teaching writing, and also practicum, where I get to know some of my student teaching students. Um, And one of the things I've considered for my student teaching, uh, after five years at BYU, I've come to the conclusion that I would like to use podcasts as a form of summative assessment to uh, assess my students' research writing skills. So it's certainly a topic that I'm very passionate about and that I think can be used for a lot of good inside the classroom. Thank you, Marion. We are certainly excited to have you joining us today. I have one question to start us off, and then I'll turn to the audience's live chat for the remainder of our questions. My one starter question is very vague in general, but it's just meant to be a leaping off point for us. Take it however you'd like to, and we'll let the audience's questions in the live chat lead us from there. Does that sound all right? That sounds perfect, Ashley. All right, let's begin. My opening question is why? Why podcasts? It is so different from anything we've ever used as writing assignments. So why begin using this method? All right, so it is definitely non-traditional, but one of the main reasons we're turning to this and other non-traditional formats is because writing in today's age is non-traditional. This is not only something that newer teachers agree on, such as myself, but other renowned English teaching organizations such as NCTE also agree. And just to give you some background, NCTE is the National Council of Teachers of English. It is one of the oldest organizations of literacy educators, very well respected uh, by all English teachers. In fact, I don't know any English teacher who doesn't know who they are and use their content or at least is a member of their group. This organization actually uses the expertise and professional research of their members to educate all English teachers on how best to teach English in all of its forms, writing, reading, everything. I just want to add my testimony to that. NCTE is a very trustworthy organization that I often refer to as a teacher to help me stay on track with my teaching practices. Marion, what does NCTE say about podcasts? 
Well, Ashley, they don't say anything about podcasts in particular, but they do give teachers some guiding principles to base our teaching practices off of. One of those lists of guiding principles is titled Literacy in a Digital Age. And these standards were released actually just about a year ago and tell us best how to approach teaching, writing, and reading in our modern world of technology. So Marion, are you inferring that some of these belief statements indirectly support the creation of podcasts as a writing project? Yes, thank you for summarizing. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. So I'll actually read for you now um, one of the belief statements um, that helps support podcasts. I'll read this to you real quick. NCTE believes that students should explore and engage critically, thoughtfully, and across a wide variety of inclusive texts and tools slash modalities. For those in our audience who are unaware, modalities means different ways of representing a text, verbally, visually, etc. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Ashley. So during a podcast research assignment, students would draw their research from many types and modes of text. So blogs, other podcasts, TED Talks, and this ensures that they're engaging with text in ways that are viewing um, visually and reading and also listening. So this way they are learning to comprehend and critically evaluate not only books and articles, but a wide variety of texts, which will prepare them for the real modern world where that is considered, what is considered a text is a lot more broad than it was even 20 years ago. And students need to be able to read a variety of these things. So that's true. Um, the type of sources I go to for information has definitely broadened in recent years. There are so many different styles of communication to evaluate now. Exactly. But that's not even my favorite part about this or the part I'm most passionate about. Uh, the best part to me is actually these next two belief statements. NCT also believes that students must learn to consume, curate, and create actively across contexts. And writers must compose using different modes and technologies. So what these belief statements mean to me is that we shouldn't just give them opportunity to learn from other source types and modes and technologies such as podcasts, uh, that reading them is not enough. We must also give them the opportunity to create them, to write them. What does creating in different contexts, such as a podcast, do for students? What does it offer them that a regular traditional essay might not? Well, Anne Whitney, I'll cite her here, uh, who has been published multiple times in the English Journal, tells us exactly what these traditional writing assignments are lacking, which is authenticity. When will students ever have to write a five-paragraph essay? Certainly not in their jobs, let alone their personal lives. And when will I, the teacher, ever be their main audience for anything in the real world? Whitney explains that by creating unauthentic writing assignments, we are demotivating our students. We're squashing their creativity. We're shutting down their critical thinking skills. They are not thinking about writing to an audience or writing to serve a purpose or writing with a certain tone to enhance that purpose or to bring about that purpose. Instead, they're just writing for school, for a teacher. So unauthentic writing assignments don't improve audience awareness, don't improve their ability to achieve their writing purpose, and don't improve tone or motivation. Got it. What does an authentic writing assignment do then? 
Okay, valid point. Um, I will actually read to you from the blog, Teachers, Professors, and Parents, Writers Who Care. Uh, I feel like Ken Lindblom, the writer of this particular article, answers this question better than I could. So I'll read his statement. The advantages of authentic writing go far beyond simply motivating students. They also help students develop real-world writing skills that they will need when they're no longer writing for teachers. Skills such as analyzing audiences, writing in formal and informal registers, analyzing and understanding the different conventions required for different genres, such as letters to the editor, business report summaries, blog posts, etc., and writing for practice audiences or peers to see how real readers will react to their writing before they release it to the world. So the benefits of authentic writing assignments are that they A, increase motivation, and B, improve real-world writing skills, not just school writing skills. Great. So what about things that require students to be prepared for school writing, such as standardized tests? This is a great question, Ashley. This is probably the question I get asked most often by my peers and professors and um, other teachers and parents. This is a pretty common question. So my belief after the research that I've done is that standardized testing writing um, can be taught as a a separate genre. So this is also explained by Whitney's article. Uh, We have authentic assignments that prepare students for real life writing. And then we can also have separate assignments that address standardized testing. After all, that is an authentic writing situation at this time in students' lives. It's something they really have to be doing. Uh, So we should set aside a time to practice that type of writing, just like we'd set aside a time to practice any other type of writing. But it doesn't need to infect the real authentic writing process that students practice in other assignments So, as Hicks writes in Crafting Digital Writing, it is time to give up on the idea that we are doing students a service by limiting the range of writing experiences we offer. So we're not doing them any favors by teaching them to write within 60 minutes or to write to a standardized testing prompt. We should include test writing in our range of experiences, but it should not be the only writing experience that we teach to our students. I agree. Thank you, Marion. I want to switch gears for these last few minutes we have and answer the many questions coming into the chat about spoken writing. What are the benefits of speaking one's writing out loud or talking through one's ideas like one does in a podcast? Interesting question. So the relationship between writing and speaking is actually very well established in their practice. Uh, Even back in 1994, teachers and writers alike were talking about this connection, and well beyond that, before that point as well. Um, Robert Perrin explained that a close relationship exists between the acts of speaking and writing, and we do our students, our schools, and our society a great disservice when we divide these two related disciplines along departmental lines. So... He's saying that we shouldn't um, have these in two separate sections, like speech class and then English language arts class, but they should be merged into one since they're so closely connected and since they aid each other. Uh, More recent professional conversations have validated this strongly worded claim. Uh, For instance, English classes for English language learners often use verbal or spoken approaches to learning English. Uh, with staggering results. 
the more they practice speaking, the better they become at it. And the better they become at speaking, the more their reading and writing dramatically improves as well. There is clearly a strong correlation between how we say things and how we write things. This is not just true for English language learner students, but also for any English language arts student. The more proficient we get at speaking, the more proficient our writing also becomes. Um, also, oftentimes verbalizing writing can help us improve our sentence fluency as well and add voice to our writing. It's a hard concept to teach voice. Um, that's been debated about for years, but we can start by helping students understand the relationship between how they say something and how they put it on a page. <clears throat> thank you, Marion, for answering those questions for our listeners, and thank you for coming on our show in general. Oh, yes, thank you, Ashley. It's been an honor. So a note to our listeners before we sign off for the week. If you have any lingering questions about the use of podcasts in the classroom, feel free to visit the NCTE website and look at their other digital literacy belief statements. Or, better yet, visit the Love Teach blog and read Kelly's article, Student Podcasting. As always, continue commenting any questions or feedback you have from today's discussion. These questions serve as topics for future podcasts, so we really appreciate your genuine engagement. And once again, thank you for listening to Parents in the Classroom.